Welcome back to the Cyber Sector 7 Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Reese, and on this episode, we have a very special guest here with us to talk about hacking and how he got into hacking and talk about some projects that he has been working on. So I hope you enjoy another great community episode with a great friend of mine, Reaper. So here we go. Still holding true to the water diet. I did not think I would make it this long, but I have had an odd addiction lately to glass root beers. Every couple of days, I'll go get a glass root beer now and sit outside in this 110 degree summer heat. It's ridiculous. Um, but have a very special guest with us today, and he is right here to talk to us. So, um, would you like to introduce yourself, my friend? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, my name. Totally not a hacker, fun boy. That's my uh, main or second online name, but my online name main one is Reaper, and I'm a programmer and also a security researcher. I program in multiple languages, one being a legacy language, which is called Fortran, and the other one being a modern one, which is Golang. Um. So, uh, other than being a programmer, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, like. What are some of your interests in the hacking niche or, uh, you know, something like that? T tell us a little bit more about you as a person in involved in the hacking community. So it kind of started off with um, game cheat development. I got interested in security of applications um, from a friend I met in middle school, and we kind of hooked up from there. I mean, when I mean hooked up, I mean... Um, programmed together and we even taught each other some stuff and from there on i went to stuff like car hacking and, and learning my way around networks and stuff and currently my most interest is going to be about artificial intelligence based cybersecurity. that's a, a really interesting topic i know before the show we were briefly talking about artificial intelligence um personally i don't know much about it i, I know the basics um, and I know possibly one day Terminator could totally happen. Um, but for someone that might not know very much about artificial intelligence, how would you describe that? Artificial intelligence isn't necessarily going to be like the movies. A lot of people get the common misconception that movies like Terminator are perfect depiction of what artificial intelligence is. But that's actually completely wrong. Artificial intelligence is something that will, uh, a program that learns for a very specific need, kind of like humans. We act every day on certain things and depending on the output of our actions, we learn from them and create a new storyline. Artificial intelligence works in the same way by learning off of something like files or something like moving directories to create a new storyline for itself. So it's it's not a hyper-intelligent AI that wants to take over the world and, for some reason, not enslave humans, but, but kill them? No, not really. Thank God, right? I mean, there are some pretty advanced artificial intelligence um, programs out there, and a lot of them revolve around very intense algorithms, mostly designed around quantum mechanics and um, quantum mathematics. Now... If it's exactly going to get like Terminator, I doubt that. But I have seen some pretty intense, um, per se, exploitation, uh, artificial intelligence 
which is basically kind of like the Ponagachi project. And if you don't know where that is, it basically attacks networks and learns based off of the things it attacks to make itself stronger. Yeah, I was looking at that Ponagachi or Ponagachi. I don't know how to say it. I, I've never been able to figure out how exactly you're supposed to say it. It seems like everyone says pwned or pond differently, but um, I I thought it was really interesting how it kept getting smarter. I never understood that, though. Like, I don't know. It seems like an interesting side project to do. I see people on Instagram all the time posting their builds. Have you done one or done anything like it before? I really haven't. I'm currently designing a project the more i get into car hacking which i'm still brand new to that field but with my previous experience in languages like python for artificial intelligence i've been working on designing a artificial intelligence that learns off of attacking cars and will if it learns something from its like target it will proceed to find and identify other targets like it and attack as kind of like a, a pattern of attack. So it's kind of like th that same concept of basic AI. It's just you do one thing a thousand times, you start to learn a thing or two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, did, you, did you hear about uh, Google's AI apparently being sentient? Did you hear anything about that? I've heard something about Google's AI, but I don't really look into it just because I think Google's algorithms are a little bit broken right now and they need to reorganize a lot of the, the, the mathematics because finds it in the code. The way you said that sounds like, like when your boss is trying to slowly let you go, he's like, you just need to, no, it's not bad. You just need to reorganize things a little bit. Yeah, exa exactly that. You know, I'm trying to keep it light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to not say anything too bad. No, it, it. So, so how did how did you get into this field? Because like I've known you for a minute now, I still don't even know how exactly you got into this field. Ah uh, man, honestly, it, it was it was really tough. Um, my family member, who's the artificial intelligence programmer, first got me into Python. That's when I started learning. Um. I got into about a month or two into Python. I started really hating the programming language uh, just because I wasn't into it. I, I really wasn't into cybersecurity. But I knew this friend at my middle school, sixth grade. He was he was the type of person that like was like one of those dark web slash media dealers. The people that would sell you pirated discs and movies out of school. And... <laughs> We, we kind of became friends over the past because we were kind of outcasts to the entire school. We were hidden. We weren't known much. We really didn't socialize much. So we started talking one day and he really got into the topic of games. And he told me about this friend group he has that developed game cheats. It was a pretty big group of people and that they made some money off of it and that maybe with my interest, I could get into it. And I kind of followed their path. Wow, that's that's like that. That's like a good, solid background in it. You know, you have it. Sounds like a good story. You know, yeah, it's one of those stories that sounds good and then just leads down a pretty, um, per se, dark road. Yeah, and and that's what a lot of people that especially are getting into it, unfortunately, fall fall into 
when they're first getting their feet wet with things. I see it all the time. And it's, they just get into it, start learning, but then are like, oh my God, I can make so much money doing this if I sacrifice my morals a little bit. And once mm-hmm. you start down that bad road, you get trapped in it. Yeah, man. And that's the thing. I think that's the thing, case with a lot of IT based jobs is if you look at something like, um, developing exploits or selling zero day exploits, you know that that much, that stuff makes so much money. And what gets the kids, especially that are younger getting into it is like, Oh, you know, like you said, you can make money off of it. So when you see that price on it, you're like, Oh, it's nothing. It's a simple job until you get into it and realize it's really not the um, best path to be taking. It's not like the best, best path to be taking when you realize that you take it for the money yeah exactly it's it's sacrificing your morals for money and that's something you always regret down the road yeah because morals are something that you can't get back i always try to tell that to to the followers here don't go down that bad road you can learn just as much keeping things legal and and once you go down that road then you open that door to give people like me and you a really bad name and the rest of the community a very terrible name you know you ask anybody you know what's a hacker they're like oh yeah someone who steals people's credit cards that's just the word on the street and it's hard to change people's mind on that have you had any experience with with any i reckon discriminatory comments or or people just ignorant comments of people not knowing when you tell them oh well i'm a hacker yeah man God, the, I remember the first one I had, and this one got me really scared because I legit thought I was going to get arrested. Now, in when when high school year started for everyone, now keep in mind, I left sixth grade, and I've been in online school ever since sixth grade um, because of a situation that's completely off topic. But since I'm online, when everyone moved to that school, they, they kind of forgot who I was. But this one incident happened where there was this, I can't remember. It was like this kid who hurt someone and there was someone targeting them online and they blamed or tried to blame me for that attack. Now, because no one knew my name, there, there really wasn't nothing much to say. The only thing I heard from someone at the school was that, yo, someone's trying to put the blame on you for that attack that happened to this and that kid. And they legit searched every single kid's phone and that kind of i wouldn't call it discrimination but it's kind of on that level just assuming that because of someone's a hacker they're the reason for a main attack yeah it's it's like the old saying people fear what they do not know or what they do not understand yeah i've been um reading this book called the the art of exploitation it's a pretty good book. It's a really detailed book on CN assembly and exploitation. And in the beginning introduction, it says that media, especially a lot of um, normal civilized people, just assume that all hackers are bad. This is because that stuff like movies or again, media will point out that hackers, because it's the most known word, are automatically bad. And there used to be this term to rephrase to hackers in the early 90s, I think it was, before cryptography came out, and they were called crackers. Crackers because people who 
broke or, or would crack software and license agreements were considered just bad people, people who wanted to break computers and abuse them. And media just didn't see that people would remember that meaning. So they chose the word hacker. And now hackers automatically associated with normal people um, automatically bad or cyber terrorists or someone who just is out to get every single bit of your money when that is not any part of reality. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's wild how groups like that and like sub niches can be frowned upon and it's never brought to any sort of actual media attention. Mm-hmm. That's, that's always boggled me slightly. Um, but move, moving on here a little bit, I know uh, I, I have a, a list of questions that I, I do ask. It's somewhat scripted, the episode is. Um, but I wanted to go a little off the script a little bit for this one. Uh, have you seen Obi-Wan Kenobi, or at least that final fight yet? No. I mean, I'm honestly, I know this is weird to say, but I feel like I'm the only IT guy that doesn't watch Star Wars. I we'll watch a few episodes but i or, or shows or movies because there are you know shows and stuff out there but i've never even dug into the series 100 percent. so i'm gonna say no on that one <laughs> wow i did not see that coming yeah <laughs> I, th- I figured you'd be totally down um do you watch any other like sci-fi or anything like that ah man to be honest not not really um i want to get into a few you know there's a few hacker documentaries i want to get into but as far as sci-fi goes, there, there's really nothing much I can think off of the top of my head. Yeah, there there are some really good hacker movies out there. Um, I think Ringmaster actually has an... I think he made an IMDb list online of like every documentary and movie that a hacker's ever been in. It's just like this huge list of shows and movies. Yeah, I think he has like... I think he sent, he sent me the link. And I looked at it, um, and he has, I think, like 30, 40 documentaries on him. It's insane. It's, it's wild. Is there any, is there any, like, favorite piece of pop culture like that that you say, like, maybe you watched it growing up or, or you saw it at some point in your life that you say really influenced you? No, not really, because a lot of my cybersecurity was never influenced. I, as a kid, even in my younger years, never, ever thought I would get into cybersecurity because I was always an outdoor person. I mean, I was playing sports 24-7. And I was hanging out with friends eight hours to 10 hours a day in the sun. I mean, dude, I was never inside. And then my brother, of course, like I said, he introduced me to Python and it kind of led off into there. So no movies or shows or even tech really influenced that. I kind of just got hooked by a lot of it when I first got put in a way forced or kind of push into it yeah it it's it's an interesting you have you probably have the one of the most interesting hacker stories i've heard in a while but out of all of that what what are your goals with this what 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 are you trying to achieve with what you're doing i know you said you're trying to work on ai for car hacking uh, that's amazing, but what, what are your final goals with things? Do you have any? There is a lot, I'll be honest. There is no 100% direction. It all kind of depends on the path I want to take. Um, right now, my main goals are to make scripts 
that are open source and that are secure and that are, are really helpful to, to every single hacker in the IT community. That reaches anywhere from digital forensics to uh, web exploitation and binary exploitation and even something like automotive penetration testing. And like now, I'm trying to make a open source password manager that is secure than most of the ones out there, but also free to use. So people don't have to waste something like 50 bucks or even a hundred dollars a year for password manager services that are very unsecure. Yeah. We, I know the company we were at, we used, um, I'm not going to say the name, but I'm sure you know exactly which one I'm talking about. A certain password manager that's got a bit of a red color to it. Um, we used it and then they had a password breach and we all got the email and we were like, this is something we spent money on for the whole company. And suddenly now it's insecure. The point of purchasing the product was to be secure. So something open source like that. I know there are some options out there, but something that I could sit there and tweak and also have in like, I don't know, like in my browser as well would be wonderful. Yeah, um, I have thought about making browser extensions. I mean, I'm not that far yet, but th the purpose of this one isn't to be hosted over a domain. I feel that a lot of password managers are making it a hundred times more unsafe being hosted over a domain. Not only can hackers, if say they infiltrate your computer or uh, devices, they can see where you're going and see the paths you're taking, but they can also sniff the passwords from the, the network captures or the domains or wherever you're going to retrieve those passwords. This one that I've been designing is hosted over your local machine. And when the passwords are stored, they're stored in plain text files that are encrypted into the AES 256-bit signature. Just, I feel like a lot of, um, with the, I just feel like a lot of password managers just shouldn't be hosted over the net. Because it just leaves, like you were saying, leaks or, or possible vulnerabilities in the web application that can actually hurt other end users. So making it something like uh, encrypted and, again, AES on a local machine where most of the time the hacker is not even going to be able to find that file is just making it a million times more secure, in my opinion, than something over a domain. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with you on that. I never looked at it like that, but I guess hosting it over a domain is a whole just plethora of extra things you have to watch. Yeah, and it's uh, kind of like I've been getting back into Clash of Clans recently, just because why not? Um, and I got to thinking, why put all of my eggs in two baskets? Whereas having ground troops and flying troops, if I can just focus on one, like only ground troops or only flying troops, then you eliminate half the threats. And I guess that's kind of how, how I'm looking at what you're trying to describe here is if you do take away the domain, you eliminate a whole section of threats. Yeah. With that, though, there, there are some other issues and security concerns I have had. Like, what if someone does manage to log on to the local host web interface? But see, at this point, I've also made, to solve that issue, 
a login using my own cipher, which uses a completely different language chart than standard ASDII, like something like ROT13 or um, trying to think of the other one, DEM cipher might use. Hmm. It, it's, I don't know, I guess that's one of those talks for another time. That's going to get, we're going to fall down a rabbit hole, get really off topic here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm over here seriously thinking I got my notepad out. Um, sorry to the listener for any awkward silences there. Yeah. Um, so, so what are some projects that you've been working on that you might like to, um, to, you, you know what, you know what, actually I got a, I got a better question for you. I know you, when I asked you what we wanted to talk about with this, you said, uh, game sheets. Now I know yeah. you've mentioned in the past, you had some history with game sheets, um, Personally, the only experience I've had is messing around with Cheat Engine on Roblox way back in the day. So, I'm new to all of it. So, I would love to hear anything you'd have to say on Game Cheats. A story, uh, how it's done, any of it. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners would love to be kind of interested in this. Yeah, man. Oh, God, there's so much I can talk about. I'll, I'll start off by explaining kind of how it works. Um, when I with the background when i started off in sixth grade and i met that kid and he pulled me into the whole game cheat scene everyone every small group of people were assigned a job now now this was a pretty big cheat i won't list the names for security reasons but this cheat you would have to pay three hundred dollars for a three month for three yeah three month key um it, so they were powerful cheats but this group usually programmers and, and groups that get together and do this will separate people into different tasks. So like the way our group was set up was one person would program the graphical user interface. Another person would program the authentication systems, which was part of what I did. And the other people would program the socketry and the networking and all the other stuff that goes behind it. Game sheets are really sophisticated. A lot of people don't understand that. It's not one, two, three, like it is writing a simple Python program or even a, a Ruby server to output Hello World. It takes a lot of time, a lot of design, and a lot of security flaws inside of the game itself and application itself that runs behind the game to create those sheets. I, I imagine that's being a lot of work going into it and also having to fight the creator of the game the whole time would be like a constant game of cat and mouse it is it really is and it one thing you don't realize especially if you're just kids getting into it is companies like fortnite or like uh, or not companies like fortnite but companies like epic that made games like fortnite or um like engine or I'm trying to think of the um name for them so long um say a game like apex legends you're trying to make cheat for it as an example the company that main, uh, maintains and owns that game can come after you for a list of things. And they can sue you for like a few million dollars of that. And if not, then press charges against you for cheating on their games. Wow. Yeah, I knew I knew the, the punishment was pretty severe for it. But it's it's amazing how severe they'll go with punishing something like that. 
it'll be a simple computer crime or like piracy for example right you downloaded a pirate mo a pirated movie they technically can sue you if you torrented it for distribution and like there are lawsuits people even today that they still aren't paying off from back in the napster days yeah man that, that's a that's a massive issue and it, that was probably the least of the things you had to worry about though um with the group of people i first worked with and got introduced to they all seemed pretty cool they just seemed like programmers that wanted to enhance their skill and just make money off of it they were doing that but with a lot of heavy security issues now, i'm not saying inside of the code i'm saying physically these people that that i worked with and, and the group i was pulled into would exploit binaries or stuff like encoded python files which were other people's game sheets and copy and paste that source code into our game sheets so half of the game sheets that we made weren't really our cheats they were just pieces from other decoded say like python or c sharp files or, or um e even source code from other people's servers or something like that which can come with a variety of issues. I know one of them, we had this uh, kid in our group, his name was Jonathan, and he would program a, a lot of the socketry behind it. But he would also, on his side time, decode or, or attempt to decode Python files or whatever code files he could find for mod menus. And he got his house swatted because someone found out that he stole the source code and leaked it for game sheets. Wow. Just game cheat. That's that's pretty a pretty cutthroat I guess black market business to be in. You don't think about it because when we play a game we just think, oh, it's a cool cheat. But everything behind it I was clueless to how much how cutthroat it could be. Yeah. Not all game cheat markets are like that. Simpler games like Don't Starve or, or offline games, those are pretty easy. Not Nice communities to be in. But when you're in a market with a bunch of kids and a bunch of teenagers that want to do nothing but get money, especially when they're making cheats and competing with other people in games like GTA, there are people out there that just want to target you and take down the competition. Because for us, we were a massive threat to a lot of people who wanted to start up. And that was part of the reason why a lot of us got doxxed or our information would get released or our cheats would be um, burned in reputation. It's just a giant war game between a bunch of people that want to make money, but also take you down at the same time. Do you have any, any interesting stories for us from the, the game cheating world? Yeah, I actually got one. Um, for, for the person who, who pulled me into this, when we first started, everything went pretty smoothly. I, I imagine the group before that would also doing pretty smoothly. But the, the game we specifically focused on was Grand Theft Auto. I think it was Grand Theft Auto 5, or it could have been, um, I, I don't know, it was just GTA. I don't exactly remember the version. But we were making this graphical user interface, which could do stuff like ESP or X-Ray and locate characters or even auto kill every character in the game there were a lot of cheats out there like this at the time we were trying to make ours different better and, and even stronger to beat the competition now this one group we had 
um, the, the name is so hard to point out because it was basically just a bunch of special characters on the banner. But they targeted, targeted our group a lot. They wouldn't do a lot of things like, I say like Slaughterhouse or anything, but they would make a lot of threats. And this one time, the entire group just decided to dox every single person in our group. Now, keep in mind, our group was made of like, I think it was 20, 20 or 25 people. It was a big group of people. And they managed to dox every single one of us and release things like internet protocol addresses, our um, game sheet location, where our computers were coming from, um, even social media accounts. Wow. That's insane. I mean, that was practically just something that, that shook me, that, that a community of people that just wanted money would be willing to go that far. And it wasn't up until the, like a week later, that one of our members' houses got swatted. I'm guarantee you this wasn't part of the same group that docked us because I don't think they really would have had gone that far. But I do know where the kids' information was released was on Doxin, which is a pretty popular Dox platform. And this other group that came in wanted to compete with the competition as well. So they decided to swat his house and then swat another member's house and, and stuff like that. So it was just, it was really hard to grasp that I, I was put inside of a community that I thought was actually safe and pretty amazing to pursue my skill and my, uh, yeah, what do you call it? And my livelihood safer. But that, that was actually a complete lie. It was like a giant propaganda smack in the face. Yeah, you know, OPSEC is a huge thing when you're doing any kind of activities like that. And unfortunately, when, when people are young, they don't think about OPSEC. I know when I was young, I didn't think about OPSEC very much. And it wasn't until later on in life when my mother uh, taught me about, you know, staying a little more private online and how much people can see about you then I realize, like, yeah, you know, she's kind of right. You know, we don't realize how much information we give out about ourselves every time we turn our computer on. Yeah, and and that's the, that is a whole new branch of topic. Yeah, I mean, even leaking into this one, though, it can be pretty scary. And a part of my issue with it was just that I was straight up paranoid that, that I was going to get, like, swatted like, like the other three or four guys that got swatted in our group. Surprisingly, thank God I didn't. Um, but it's just, it just blows my mind that it's not just going to happen in that community because there, there are people out there that do mine your information from Google and just post it anywhere. I mean, you don't have to particularly be in a community like this to have the chance of being swatted. It just makes your chances go higher. And make him probably worse off because there are groups of people, mostly dangerous groups of people, after you. Yeah, definitely. Um, a little side note for the listeners. Um, a bit of a vocab sesh. Uh, some of you may not know what doxing is. Doxing is the release of your personal information. Things like your email address, your physical address, sometimes your password, your IP address, social media accounts, that sort of thing. Making it public. Um, 
And if you're looking for anything like that for the OSINT community here, if you guys are looking for docs and things like that, I know you mentioned earlier Docsbin. Oh, that is a wonderful place to go if you're looking for leaked information. And sometimes I can even find uh, pastes that I can't find anymore from Pastebin up on Docsbin. So um, a little OSINT tip for you. Uh, do you have any tips or tricks you'd like to share with the community while you're on? Yeah, man, I got, I got a few. Um, one of them is definitely if you get inside of communities that are eager for money, that doesn't necessarily mean just game cheap communities, but communities that just want to make money through cybercrime or pirating or something like that, that you have a very serious sense of operational security. Because if you don't, there's a high chance that your information is going to get leaked. And especially when you're competing with other companies and even corporations, which I've heard stories from people where corporations will target you illegally, um, then they will use that information to get ahead of you just to destroy the competition. And it's important that every single person that starts in any form of hacking, even if it's digital forensics or um, penetration testing or any form of hacking at all, to have a good sense of security. It doesn't mean you should stop your life and be paranoid. That's often what a lot of people get off at is they start making their own network services and, and running tour every day and all this kind of stuff. But you don't need to do that. You just need to make sure that you're not giving too much information to people online that you don't know or haven't talked to for years of your life or even as much as post the wrong Instagram photo or something because even photos can lead to your direct GPS location. Yeah, um, and he's, he, he pointed something out there. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about Tor and that sort of thing. Um, coming from, from my background as a full-time OSINT investigator, a lot of the data I do buy just comes from what you're putting online or the data I do find or I come across because uh, our company, we buy some data in bulk to study it and use it to kind of gain an advantage in the field. Um, and a lot of it, we don't see if you're on tour. Now, sometimes uh, we will buy IP addresses and logs and that sort of thing. Um, not in like the illegal kind of way. But um, even then, like if you're using Tor, I'm going to be able to tell you're using Tor. It's not necessarily me wanting to look for what you're seeing on Tor. I just need to know where you connected. So I got your home. When, when people are buying your IP logs uh, in bulk, we're not buying where you went. We bought where it's coming from. So even if you use Tor... Uh, AT&T or Xfinity may still sell your data to other third-party providers such as PI databases and that sort of thing, and digital forensics databases. And that's where it can land in the hands of someone looking for you. So be, be mindful of what you are going on the internet looking for at all. It's not be mindful of your IP address as much as it is be mindful what you let your provider see you doing. Is there is there anything you'd like to, to add to that? Not really, man. I mean, you did. You literally took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> um, th there is actually something, now that I do think of it, that I'd like to add. Images. On the topic of digital forensics and people wanting to hunt you down. 
a lot of people now own Apple products and and uh, products even like Samsung. Now, what a lot of people don't notice is when you post a photo, not a screenshot, but a photo of something like a mountain or or a selfie of you and your friends at a summer camp or something, people don't notice that the amount of data that goes into photos is exponentially growing day by day. Oh, and, it's astronomical. Yeah, and what I mean by that is people like me who are, who are skilled programmers and who kind of know their way around these image data and the data format can decode the data in the image to give out something like a location. Every phone that takes a photo or every camera possibly in the world has a GPS option on it. That would give something like digital forensics experts or, or um, private investigators a perfect opportunity to ping and locate the exact location you were both geographically and digitally. Meaning they could say, locate your summer camp, or even if you took a picture of your computer in your house, they could decode that information and take it for themselves and use it against you. Oh yeah. Um, we, I used to be able, used to be able to go on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And just like, if you were on PC, you could right click and hit inspect element or just download the photo and it still had all the metadata attached that was back when OSINT was a lot easier I'll, I'll tell you it was much easier then because a lot of the time I would just be able to download the profile picture and then go to like Jeffrey's EXIF viewer online uh, that's a website you can look at this a lot of this metadata and then I would just boom I'd get GPS coordinates right off the bat and it would take no yeah, time at all. Yeah, man, that that is very, very true. Now it becomes a lot harder, especially with um, something called EXIF sanitization. And if you guys don't know, EXIF is basically metadata in an image. Something like RGB um, or RGB alpha character sets and uh, GPS location, um, photo types, structures, and all this kind of stuff. In sites like Instagram and Discord and, and major corporations, when you now upload a photo, it's not like where it used to be, where they will simply have the same metadata of when they took it. But these new companies will, again, use excess sanitization to sanitize or, in other words, erase or replace the data inside of that image with other data that basically makes the user hidden which is like um, Tank was saying, that it makes it very hard to trace someone nowadays. But it is still very possible, especially if you have a camera that takes a lot of data and the image processing host on the other end can't process that amount of data but still manages to upload that image. Yeah, I've, I've seen that, especially um, when I'm trying to look for like a photographer's account. Um, I'll be surfing, like, maybe even her home site or his home site or well, whoever it is. Um, and sometimes some social media accounts. And I'll download these photos and this site or this service that they're uploading them through is supposed to pull that metadata. But I've seen a lot of times they have a very high-end camera. So there's a lot of data to that camera, and it doesn't always get recycled. So sometimes I'll be able to tell, oh, well, yeah, she has, or he has a Sony so-and-so camera. 
and yeah, that's yeah. just enough information for me to know, okay, well, I'm going to start looking in photography groups in this region and in this region and in this region and see who all has that camera, and hopefully someone will bait. Yeah, man, that, that is the, the very scary reality that a lot of people don't understand. But, I mean, for private investigators, it's good, but for... Um, for, for other people that are being targeted by cyber criminals, that can be a massive issue. And like I, I said, that there are a lot of companies that are taking notice to this and at least are being able to protect their users from these. But there are a lot of forums out there that are just unsecured. Yeah, unsecure with that kind of stuff. And still have that old style from 2008 that allow any user to find any information about your account simply based on an image. Oh, yeah. And, you know, something I think people always are on uploading images to the World Wide Web. We don't really think about it. Um, but something I think a lot of people don't think about at all is when you upload a file. Like, let's say, like a zip file. I see these people uploading, like, a zip file or a special, any kind of file type. Just like a regular file of something. And I'll see it, like, when I was hopping on raid forums when it was still open, and uh, some of the more modern ones today, people will upload these files. And if you just drag it and drop it to your, your VM or your computer, whatever you're on, you can look who created that file. You can check the properties. See, you can even get the name of the computer that it came from. And people don't realize that, but that's it's self-doxing when you don't clean it up that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a... That's another topic that can branch off is the, the, the data inside of the photo will help a lot of hackers in exploiting your computer, which is surprising to me that, that you can take data from an image, even though I've, I've been doing this for quite a while, um, that you can take data inside of an image and still manage to use it to attack multiple computers or hosts. Yeah. It it is wild, and just the hacking community is wild as as a whole. Um, we're we're getting ready to wrap the show up here. Is there anything you would like to tell the community? Um, really brush up on a uh, digital forensic. It's not the most glorified um, branch of hacking out there, but it definitely will help you. Not in just recon and something like actual host hacking and web exploitation, but it'll also sharpen your skills in operational security. Say if you join a company and you want to um, present security details to that one group of people, um, that's something that'll help you really be able to look into things, especially in something like images or even file formats and zip files and all these kind of media file formats. It takes time, but it's worth it. A lot of the fields in hacking you don't have to touch on, but they're still worth learning, and especially if they take your interest and you think that they'll advance your career more, definitely look into it. Definitely, most definitely. Is is there anything you'd like to plug for the community to hear? Uh, I can put links in the description of the show for the listener here. Yeah, um, I have a project coming out right now. Um, it's actually going to be released on June 29th, and it's a project called Red Rabbit. It's um, a framework that tries to touch on every single um, popular 
topic of uh, the hacking community, digital forensics, payload parsing, something like NMAP XML parsing, um, Tor, just a bunch of things that has over 260 utilities and built-in scripts to help you in your reports or even hacking sessions. And it's just ready to blast off. And I'm really excited. Um, you can find that in my GitHub, which is um, Archangel43. The L is capital and the A is capital as well. My Instagram also <laughs> um, is totally not a hacker. Haxer is spelled H-A-X-X-E-R. I'll, I'll put the links down below in the description for the listener. Well, that wraps up most of the show for you guys. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoyed yet another guest. We will be doing this hopefully a lot more often. You guys seem to like this. If any of you would like to come on the show, or uh, maybe you have a story or anything like that, feel free to reach out to me, and I will try to get you put on the schedule as soon as... I can. Um, as usual, links in the description. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can always try out Proton Mail with my link down below. Thanks for listening, and would you like to sign off with me, Reaper? Hey, yeah, sure thing. All right. Have a good night, everyone. Have or a day, night. if you're <laughs> <laughs> Be safe, everybody. I'll see you in two weeks.